welcome back to lucky number episode 13 of haunted 518 today i am drinking from 21st amendment brewery it is called it is a blood orange ipa and it says brew free or die (laughs) and it says india pale ale brewed with blood oranges and natural flavors oh that's delicious it's crisp yes hoppy but um you can definitely taste the blood orange the can is also i also wanted to point out the reason that i chose this is because the can caught my eye the art on it is um is awesome i'll post a picture of it um i actually have never heard of this beer before and it the can was actually with the label was facing away from me but the art caught my eye and i'm so glad i grabbed it it was just a single can they were selling it a single can so i am very happy to be having this to accompany me me today i also have a um blood orange seltzer water so i'm just really loving the blood orange apparently today it just happened to be the only flavor of seltzer water that i had in the house (laughs) Um, so today I actually wanted to kind of focus on the Chestertown, Warrensburg area, but more so through my research, it ended up being mostly Chestertown, um, a little bit of Bolton Landing, um, some Hadley and, um, Chestertown and Brant Lake area. I actually had already spoken about in past episodes so unfortunately i couldn't find anything anything really more in that area so if anybody has any um ghost stories and you live in that area please send them in um or any information about anything i also um had have a few other books about the adirondacks that i am currently reading so if i find any more stories in there that i don't know about already i will absolutely let you guys know in the future um so talking about warrensburg let's get started there it's located along the scroon river which provided ample opportunity for industrial water power warrensburg rose to prominence in the 19th century with sawmills industrial tanning paper making and clothing manufacture which continued into the latter half of the 20th century um scroon river and scroon lake is a really beautiful area also if you're not familiar with with that area i definitely recommend visiting it scroon lake has a beautiful uh downtown area also quaint quaint but beautiful so the first story i wanted to tell it is called morrison flats view farm Her grandparents' century-old farmhouse stood a short distance outside Warrensburg, New York, on Horicon Avenue. It was a summertime haven for Cynthia's family, escaping the heat of Florida. It had no indoor plumbing, and yet they hoped it would otherwise be a peaceful sanctuary. Long ago, the building had been... Long ago, the building had belonged to a recluse, Lidge Pratt, L-I-D-G-E, Lidge Pratt, and all who visited the house came away with uncanny experiences. One evening, while looking in her mother's bedroom mirror, mirror, Cynthia saw the reflection of a bearded old man. Whirling, she found, whirling, she found nobody behind her. 
Later that night, Grandpa and I were alone in the living room and a thunderstorm was brewing. Sheets of rain drenched the Scroon River Valley, then moved towards Chestertown. Grandpa and I heard the sound of someone running across the porch. He jumped up and opened the door, thinking it was Mom returning home. No one was there. Then the lights flickered and the hair on the back of my neck stood up. We heard someone tramping across the kitchen floor and up the stairs. Oh my god, that's giving me chills. I scurried into the kitchen just in time to see the door to the upstairs shut. Oh, that's horrifying. When her mother did return home later, Grandpa and Cynthia recounted their experience. Grandpa attributed the strange events to the wind and the horses in the barn. But those horses are always stomping out there, Cynthia countered. We've never heard those noises before. Later, sharing her experience with her visiting cousins, she learned they had often experienced an old crystal set turning itself on in the turning itself on in the house and refused to stay there overnight. I tried to believe the skeptics, but eventually came to know that the old farmhouse was haunted. Our cat Buffy was my chief witness. <laughs> One summer, Mom brought an old whiskey jug down from the attic. Grandpa laughed when he saw it. He reckoned it had belonged to old Lidge Pratt. There was still a corn cob stuck fast in the opening. When it was time to return to Florida, the jug was packed in the car trunk. My mother thought it would make a fine conversation piece in the doorway of our Florida home. The return the return trip was uneventful. The jug was, was unpacked and washed, though we weren't able to remove the corn cob. The jug was then placed near the front doorway. As he prowled our house, Buffy made wide circles around the jug, refusing to get anywhere near it. That night when we began to hear the same footsteps we'd heard in Warrensburg, upon investigation we found no one and nothing was out of place. Buffy, Buffy accompanied me and hissed at the jug. Though we tried to get him used to it, he always hissed. He wasn't skittish with anything else we'd brought from New York State. My dad and I often heard footsteps and saw skulking shadows never before experienced in our house. God. A cold spot developed in the front hall, despite the Florida heat. The hair on the back of our necks stood up whenever we went through there, Cynthia said. Dad finally told Mom to get that jug out of our house. Mom sold it to an antique dealer. She told him about its haunting appeal. He seemed intrigued and paid her more than the jug was worth. After that, strange, after that the strange sightings and sounds in our Florida house ceased. Later, we found out the antique dealer had removed the corncob plug and his dog growled at the jug. He said he never saw anything unusual, but his dog sure didn't like that jug. Cynthia laughed. Next, we'll stay in Warrensburg and we'll move over to... There's a beautiful picture to the Merrill McGee house. One cannot tour Warrensburg, New York without being impressed by the early American beauty of the Merrill McGee House. Its Greek Revival architecture lends quiet testimony to the vision of Americans, America's middle class of America's middle class entrepreneurs of 150 years ago. Its white porch columns rise amid century-old trees that shade the beginning of Route 28 North. 
Grace Merrill, who married Mr. McGee, lived there for 50 years. Her husband predeceased her, so when she died, all the house furnishings were auctioned and the home sat vacant for a decade. When Florence Carrington came to town, she fell in love with the house and decided to convert it into a restaurant. Shopping area you shopping area antique shops she purchased appropriate period furniture restoring a vintage family atmosphere to the downstairs an open house tour was held for townspeople who came and shared their memories of grace excuse me and her home several recalled seeing specific pieces of furniture exactly where florence had positioned them which made florence smile had she somehow purchased duplicates of grace's furnishings Had Grace somehow guided her in her selections? She wondered. Before the open house, Florence's daughter stayed in the house alone for several nights because she liked its friendly atmosphere. Gradually, the Carringtons established a residence upstairs. The rear downstairs room was transformed into a modern kitchen, staff was hired, dinnerware was purchased and placed in in the antique dining room, and they opened for business. One morning, while Florence worked alone in the kitchen, her son Dan arrived and parked in the rear lot. As he entered, he asked, who's here? She told him she was alone. That can't be, he countered. Just coming in the driveway, I saw somebody up in my room. They went upstairs to inspect, but no one was there. Over the years, both family and staff have heard voices coming from Dan's room, but it was always empty when they searched it. Eventually, they turned into a, they turned it into a sitting room where the television could do the speaking without causing house guests to worry. A sensitive young waitress from Ireland once told the Carringtons of several ghostly entities she perceived with her second sight, but as nobody else had seen them, few, seen, few seemed troubled. Spirits seem most active in the oldest front part of the house. As you enter the tap room from the south entrance, you'll often encounter Dan, who tends bar. He'll tell of being amused in the winter of 1998 when on several occasions an inner door moved by itself. No outside doors were open at that time, so there couldn't have been a draft. The latch clicked up, the door swung open, then closed, and the latch fell back, nice and neat, as if someone had just come through. I've never seen anyone there, though, he smiled. (laughs) Enid Mastriani, a former cook, said that she often heard people walking upstairs over the kitchen when she knew there was no one there but herself. It's all very soft, she told me, like old Grace is still roaming the house, seeing what we have done since her time. Surely Grace would have appreciated the wonderful aromas that wafted from Anid's kitchen. (laughs) The next one, staying in Warrensburg. Underwater archaeology group, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, Batu, B-A-T-E-A-U-X, Batu, (laughs) underwater archaeology group Batu Below concluded its meeting on Lake George shipwrecks in the old Warren County Courthouse in Lake George, New York. Oh, that's right. This is about the Warren County Courthouse, which, um technically is in Lake George, but I wanted to talk about it. Marilyn Mazeo went upstairs to turn out the lights. Tweet, tweet, tweet came the shrill sound from somewhere on the second floor. 
Did I lock someone in, she wondered. She reopened the door, turned the lights on, and closely examined the room. Nobody there. She closed the door and started back downstairs, only to hear it again. Tweet, tweet, tweet. She retraced her steps, unlocked the door, turned on the lights, and checked once more. Again, nothing. Nobody. She relocked the door and left without further incident. But the next morning, she told museum co-worker Grace McDonald about the incident. I've never heard that before, Grace said, but though the sound was out, but thought the sound was out on Canada Street. No, it came from somewhere on the second floor. I know that, said Marilyn. Then, for several weeks, they heard no noises out of the ordinary. One day, an intuitive named Sue visited the Lake George Historical Association's museum in the courthouse, where Grace and Marilyn worked. Sue took her children to an upstairs exhibit, then came down suddenly. They'd seen a man in buckskins who suddenly vanished into thin air, and they wanted to report it to the staff. I thought about those happenings for a long time, said Grace. Then one day I sat reading a book on Lake George history and came to the part about Major Roger, Major Robert Rogers, famed leader of Rogers Rangers in the French and Indian War from 1755 to 1763. He and his men often launched raids on French garrisons at Fort Carillion, also known as Ticonderoga, and Fort St. Frederick, also known as Crown Point, from nearby Fort William Henry. I found a paragraph about the signaling system and he and his men used in the woods, like shrill bird calls, to recognize one another, and so the Indians or French couldn't be sure they were being spied on. A few months later, Sue returned. Intrigued by the apparition she'd seen in the courthouse, she had opened up her psychic ability to all of Canada Street. In her mind's eye, she saw, in a ravine next to the high school, a man in a canoe who, su who suddenly stood and grabbed his chest before vanishing. She wondered if he'd been shot. Then, closer by, she was approached by a ghost who was a mute and who telepathically told her he had died not far from the present courthouse, but didn't want to leave the area because all his friends had died there. She couldn't make out what country's uniform he wore, but told Grace and Marilyn about it. The two women, very knowledgeable in Lake George regional history, in Lake George regional history recalled that the courthouse stands on ground occupied by French general Montcalm's artillery when they assaulted nearby Fort Henry William in August 19 in August 1757 might Sue have seen a French soldier a few months later another as another evening meeting wound down Marilyn's husband arrived at the museum to drive her home as he waited in the bookshop, he wandered along the row of bookshelves. Responding to a sharp whistle behind him in the corner, he whirled around. He saw nobody and became nervous and walked outside for a cigarette. Directly behind him, the sound came again. He went back to the car and sat until his wife was ready to leave, chain-smoking several more cigarettes. A year later, the Lake George Historical Association held an evening meeting which was crowded because a recently excavated mortar bomb fragment was on display while members were examining it the familiar three whistles sounded again very loud and very shrill 
Whoever makes these sounds, whether it is the ghost of Major Rogers or one of his men, the French and Indian War still vibrates in the village of Lake George. A reconstructed Fort William Henry hosts thousands of visitors each summer, and the Courthouse Museum has many special exhibits. A few years ago, the Daniel Day-Lewis film of James Fenimore Cooper's 1826 novel, The Last of the Mohicans, realistically created the struggle of almost 250 years ago. Batu below has located and marked Roger's sunken invasion fleet of bateaux, the land tortoise, a British gunboat from the war that was located in the lake in 1994, and along with the sunken bateau, has become New York State's first underwater historic site. The submerged heritage preserves. In this village, the past and the present continue to blend in very strange ways. I actually had a map of Lake George with um, all of the like fun stuff, but also historical stuff, and it was really interesting to see the location of the sunken ships. I think there's a total of like, I think it was like 120 to 130 ships were sunk in the deepest part of Lake George which I believe is actually not far from the shelving rock area, um, like Log Bay area. I think it's just west of the Log Bay area, and it's really interesting. I know that to avoid, I should actually look into this, um, but from, if I'm remembering right, to avoid their ships from being captured, um, certain military sunk their own ships to, yes, some were lost in battle, but um, some were purposely sunk just to avoid their ships being taken by the enemy. So I thought that was uh, super interesting. I'll look into that and um, see if I can have, find any more interesting information on that. The next one I wanted to tell was Hadley Mountain, so moving over to Hadley, but not too far. This was the strangest thing that ever happened to me, said Jeff Baker, and maybe it belongs in a ghost book. I don't know where else you'd tell it. He had just finished reading Saratoga County Ghosts and was fascinated by the story Stuck, which took place in the deep woods in the northern part of the town of Corinth. The story detailed the efforts of a group of young men to free a stranded jeep from a mud hole. The jeep had taken on a life of its own, moving despite the driver's best efforts to prevent it. I had speculated that a ghost or nature spirit had impelled the action. Now a resident of Hendersonville, North Carolina, Jeff remembered, in 1987, I was, I, I worked at logging a large tract off Tower Road near Hadley Mountain, not too far from the site of the Stuck story. There were about 600 acres of forest to cut there. Our job took two years, he recalls. Jeff liked the hard physical labor and was usually the first person on site each morning. I enjoyed the early morning peace and became used to seeing wild animals and often heard coyotes until we started up our equipment. Then we couldn't hear them any longer. They dragged the trees out of the woods and cut them into lengths and platforms and called headers spaced along their logging roads. At the foot of the mountain, way in back, 
there was a header that was different. I'd sit there in the early morning waiting for the other loggers and one day heard the scariest sound I've ever heard. It was not a bobcat, a bear, coyote, koi dog, or anything else I knew. It also, I also felt it in my soul. It was a moaning, ew. <laughs> It was a moaning or wailing and nearby. The loud animal-like wail continued for a couple of months. I became very cautious back there on that header. One day working with his buddy, the two took to the skitter, the two took the skitter, I'm not sure what the skitter is, S-K-I-D-D-E-R. They took the skitter up the mountain and picked up a hitch of wood. The pair then moved downhill, but Jeff saw another small stand that he could quickly cut. M motioning, to, motioning his friend downhill, he cut the trees, limbed them out, and then sat on a stump to catch his breath. He could hear the skitter's engine running far down the mountainside. Above and behind him, there came a sudden crack. He spun around in time to see a huge live tree falling directly at him. He jumped sideways just in time. The tree crashed onto his chainsaw, flipping it, flipping it end over end. Before he could recover, he heard the awful moaning sound again. I spun around but saw nothing. All around me, I could feel this presence. I was wondering which tree would fall on me next and what was making this awful sound. I don't know how much time had passed. I just stood there waiting and watching. Then I heard the skitter coming back. When my buddy got there, he took one look and knew something was really wrong. Then he heard the moan too. It was as if it was in us and around us, and we were both so scared. I remember standing guard with his running chainsaw while he hooked up the hitch of wood then we headed downhill fast i've never heard such a sound before or since it was unearthly and that was one sound you could hear over the sound of the running equipment <laughs> that's terrifying i never i've never gone back to that place but i'll never forget it i have no explanation for that experience my buddy was just as flummoxed as i was He'd never heard a, such a sound either. Safe in North Carolina, Jeff still wonders about his experience. I'm still not sure there's enough distance between us, me and that ghost or being or spirit or monster or whatever it was, but I'll take my chances here, he said with a grin. <laughs> and next I want to move over to Bolton Landing. And it is the Pritchard House, P-R-I-C-H-A-R-D, Pritchard House. Walter Pritchard was born on an ocean steamer was when his parents emigrated from Wales to Bolton Landing in New York in 1802. First a farmer, he later turned to blacksmithing and built a shop on the east side of Maple Street. When he gave up the business in the 1870s, he converted the shop to a small house and moved it, moved it to the west side of the street. His pretty daughter Mary stood only 4 feet 10 inches tall, but had black piercing eyes and rosy cheeks. She wore her blue she wore her beautiful black hair pulled back so that its natural curl, which she thought was sinful, <laughs> didn't show. Strong and energetic and inclined to get, in, to get her own way, she expected a lot from her suitors, a tendency that grew stronger as she grew older. Her great-granddaughter, Mary 
Martha recalls. Mary found that tractable mate in Alan G. Goodman, local store owner and later boarding housekeeper. Unfortunately, through ineptness, a dishonest partner and bad luck, they lost the Goodman house, all their property and much of their self-esteem. Then Alan became ill. Finally, the only home they could afford was the old tenant house that had been the blacksmith shop, a small, rude domicile which mortified Mary. She had she hid her shame under an outer courtesy, but otherwise became absolutely inflexible and bossy, according to Mary Martha, known simply as Martha to her friends. As age overtook her body, widowed Mary lived with her daughter Clara, a schoolteacher, who soon married Charles Maxim. The three lived together in the small cottage for over 25 years, and Mary dominated them throughout the period. After Mary died at 82, Clara became uneasy and assailed by vague fears. Her controlling mother was gone, but something was still watching them. Continuously nervous, Clara slept only fitfully, and Charles began to fear for her stability. One night when Charles was out and Clara Maxim was reading in the kitchen, Martha told me, a bitter chill swept over her. There in the pantry doorway, Clara saw a filmy, semi-transparent figure, too vague to be recognizable, but but to grandmother it was clearly there. Though shaking uncontrollably, she walked ten feet to to that doorway and stood nose to nose with the figure until it dissipated. Oh my god. Then collapsing into a chair, she noticed her tension and fear had also vanished. Ugh. For a moment, Clara reflected on her father, her father Alan's words, I'm coming back someday, a remark which, as a spiritualist, might have referred to reincarnation or haunting. But Clara concluded the figure had been her mother and not Alan Goodman. She never experienced that spirit again and thought it likely that her boldness excuse me, had finally broken her mother's hold on her. Martha believes the central figure of this story should be the house and not Mary Pritchard. It was very small, she said, with a small parlor, small living room, two small bedrooms, and a kitchen pantry downstairs. Up a steep stairway were two bedrooms in, were two bedrooms, in time the old woodshed became the new kitchen then over the next 80 years the building underwent change after change though the original planter plaster and lathes lasted until 1955. there actually is a photo of it here also i'll post it and it is um pretty small but um charming but very small then clara's daughter Nellie who was Martha's mother, had the walls and the ceiling of the living room stripped to to the old blacksmith-era timbers. Walking alone through the building before the new sheetrock was installed, she felt every ancestor that had ever worked or lived in the structure was watching, though she saw no one. Nellie's sense of humor caused her to take up the family Bible and open it at random and read from St. Paul. Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. She smiled. All the significant Pritchard family events had taken place in the room with that Bible, marriages, funerals, and births. Nellie, a a teacher in Rensselaer, New York, continued to use the restored home in the summer and closed it up for the rest of the year. 
In the winter of 1963, however, she rented it with holding the house's history from her tenant. Even so, the tenant later told Nellie, One night before going to bed, I put out the lights and stood beside the stove in the old sitting room. As I stood there in my mind's eye, I saw the old rooms, sitting room and a connecting parlor, with the wide board floors with cracks, the old wallpaper, the cook stove, and wood wooden wash tubs. I saw an armchair, a lamp, and an open book, and a table set for supper. Then in the parlor, I saw a casket. I believe it related to the death of an old man. She showed Nellie where she had spied a door into the pantry, which Nellie knew had been boarded up and covered with wallpaper prior to 1903. On another occasion, the tenant viewed four men dressed in heavy outdoor clothing, carrying an injured young man on a stretcher, probably hurt in a logging accident in the nearby mountains. Nellie, who was often alone there at night, correcting papers, knitting or reading, had many visions of the house's history. And the noises got so bad, Nellie recounted, that I finally stopped getting up and just said aloud, I hear you. <laughs> I could never live there. Her grandmother's portrait crashed on the table one winter's night when there was no breeze. Nellie also experienced knockings as frequently as twice a week. It was a live house that she had willed to her daughter. When Martha inherited the property, relatives informed her of its unusual events. Although not sure she really believed these happenings, she was open. Then she began having her own strange experiences. In March of 1986, two months after her mother's death, Martha was upstairs in the bedroom removing blankets from a chest. I heard three very distinct knocks on the dining room door. When I got halfway down the stairs, there were three more loud knocks. I called out that I was coming. There was nobody at the door or on the sidewalk, but there hadn't been enough time for anyone to go far. I walked out to the end of the sidewalk and there was nobody in sight, not even a car on the street. Almost exactly eight years later, I was cleaning the house between tenants and, and was in the doorway between the parlor and the living room, facing the window onto the front porch when someone knocked on the dining room door. Since I was looking right out the porch window, I could plainly see nobody was there. I just stood there staring. Oh, that's giving me chills. Then I heard the door open. Oh my God. And from, and from the deliberate heavy footsteps, I'd say a man walked across the dining room and through the kitchen, opened the back door and went out, shutting the door distinctly, she said. Martha was startled by these events, but not scared. How can you... I would be so scared. I would never be able to um, be in that house alone. Martha was startled by these events, but not scared. She thought that someone was trying to tell her something, though she didn't know what. She concluded that the spirits of ancestors who once called the Pritchard House home might still consider it their home and feel secure enough to visit it occasionally. And why not? And why not? Bolton Landing, New York is one of the prettiest towns along the lake length of Lake George in the summertime. It really is one of the most charming, if not the most charming town. So if you've never been to Bolton Landing downtown, I highly recommend it. Next, continuing in Bolton, we have Ghosts of the Asylum. And there's a pretty fascinating uh, couple photos here. 
that I'll definitely post. It looks like a big structure. Deep in the woods of the town of Bolton, near, I'm sorry, deep in the woods of the town of Bolton, north of Diamond Point, New York, stands a ruin once, mona, once known as Tratelja, T-R-A-T-L, T-R-A-T-E-L-J-E, Tratelja, Scandinavian for the woodcutter. Much Adirondack timber was cleared on the 300 acres there prior to 1907 on the orders of Do Dr. Carl Nordstrom, the owner who had emigrated from Scandinavia. The magnificent estate considered, consisted of a 30-room, three-story manor house, two farms, barns, a stable, a sawmill, ponds, a small power station, a caretaker's cottage, and many outbuildings for smaller animals. Trattelja offered the Nordstrom's luxury in the bosom of nature. They employed over 35 servants in and around their sumptuous summer home. In 1922, Dr. and Mrs. Nordstrom opened Trattelja as a home for the elderly poor, but closed it within a year because of its inaccessibility. The doctor had no local practice and with his wife Emily, a militant suffragette, wintered in Palm Beach, Florida. She died in 1934 and, was, and is buried in Bolton. Carl, in his grief, simply abandoned the estate. Trattelja lay deserted in the forest between 1934 and 1938 when Nordstrom sold it. Glens Ford Falls doctors, Millet and Blair, the new owners of Trattelja, converted it to a health center for indigents in Warren County. The few old-timers who remember the institution are, di are divided as to what patients were treated there. The insane or alcoholics. This lack of certainty led in later years to scary ghost stories about the old hospital. It burned to the ground in 1941, leaving only the rock walls and a massive chimney, sitting on a mountain bluff overlooking a distant Lake George. Locals later referred to it as the castle, and teenage campers often embellished its history with ghoulish yarns. The former hospital's medical staff residence is separated by a highway from the caretaker's house. By a highway from the caretaker's house, barns and the forest that hides the mansion's remains. Lynn and her husband bought the estate and moved into the old staff residence where she immediately felt a presence, though she saw no one. A guest remarked one morning at breakfast that he'd seen a blonde-haired woman who had spoken to him during the night. I am 18, she had said. Shortly after that, Lynn began to catch movements in her peripheral vision. Hutched doors and cupboards would open themselves as if by a housekeeper's hand. The blonde ghost seemed very disturbed whenever Lynn's husband was present. Her activity es escalated whenever he was home. After he later left the house and ended the marriage, the blonde's disturbances lessened. Lynn briefly used the caretaker's cottage and barns as a dude ranch. The main barn was a constant focal point for spectral events. As ranch owner Lynn had to constantly check her brood mares during foaling. 
One evening, hearing the mare stomping, she rushed into the barn, only to see dozens of flying squirrels standing no, dozens of flying squirrels stunting raucously in the rafters and scaring her mares. On a return trip a few hours later to see this, if the squirrels had vacated or at least worn out from their energetic play, she found the horse's water pails filled with drowned squirrels. Oh my god, no one was left alive. The mares were sleeping contentedly. Squirrels have not returned to the barn since. On another occasion, Lynn saw the blonde woman walking placidly between the horse stalls, as if bestowing peace on the animals. As if bestowing peace on the animals. At other times, Lynn or family members saw a light in the barn at night. Fearing a fire, they rushed to the barn, but never found any light source once they opened the door. Many other strange events take place from time to time on the old Traffle Job property. Objects move themselves or simply disappear in the caretaker's house. Strange lights and sounds have been experienced in several places on the old estate. From time to time, young people discover the ruins of Trathaljaw hidden in the forest, but find themselves fleeing from noises that have no human origin. Whether the unseen guide for the old Trathaljaw estate is Dr. Nordstrom, his wife Emily, or one of the unnamed medical staff that lived or worked on the property, no one has determined. Though some visitors or residents become startled, the spirits seem determined to only bring healing and maintain harmony in this quiet section of the Adirondack Forest. I had no idea there were anything, there was anything like that, any ruins or anything. There's a photo of Tratelja and a photo of the horse barn. Um, it's pretty fascinating. I'll definitely post a picture of those. And then lastly tonight, I wanted to read a first-hand account from um, someone in Warrensburg. It was, it sounds pretty creepy. I believe her name is Marilyn. She writes, I come from a long line of people with special abilities. Sometimes seeing ghosts being empaths, they have having sometimes seeing ghosts being empaths having ability to hear and speak to the dead as well we have many family members from salem so abilities such as these are no surprise to me i'm 17 years old but when i was five and a half to six years old we lived on a property still owned and currently up for sale by my grandmother i were i won't reveal the property due to the activity there I don't know if the negative energy is left, but I'm hoping to do a paranormal investigation there. Anyway, my earliest memory of paranormal experiences there was when I was lying in bed. The bed faced towards the window. My one year and four months younger sister was lying next to me asleep. I had sleeping problems when I was younger. I really couldn't sleep, so I just tossed and turned until I felt the urge to look at the uncovered window in my bedroom. I looked at the window and there was a man holding a straw hat and wearing a plaid shirt with blue jeans and suspenders. He had blood blood running down his face and, and his face was really badly beaten. He smirked at me and for a five or six year old to see that, it was terrifying. He disappeared after that, but I ran into my parents from hopping into their bed. Every night after that, I'd sleep in the living room and watch TV to fall asleep. 
The house is no longer there. It was demolished about a year ago. And anyway, in 2019, me and my dad got into a conversation about paranormal experiences and I brought this particular experience up. He looked at me in shock. He told me I described his cousin who I never knew. He said our cousin died in a car crash not even a mile away from our house. He was thrown out of the car and he hit his head on the road, which made his face unrecognizable. Apparently our cousin always smirked at people to say, hey, I'm teasing you, so what are you gonna do now, playfully? He was a prankster and a very loving person. My parents to this day tell me how a few months ago my parents were using an EVP when our cousin's voice rang through. My dad said he doesn't think our cousin knows he's dead. That is fascinating. And that was submitted by, I believe, someone named, uh, yes, Marilyn. Um, so that's all I have actually for today. Um, I... I'm hoping that I can delve into that area a little bit more. Maybe I'll, uh, I was thinking about maybe reaching out to some of the businesses in that area to see if there's any local stories or firsthand accounts, but, uh, but I definitely wanted to cover, cover um, right around there. Uh, and I know Fort Ticonderoga is a big one and um, there were a lot, I do have a lot of stories. I've told a few in the past and I have a lot more stories to tell. So I thought that might be a good, um, good to save for another episode. Um, and today's information I got from Ghosts of the Northeast by David J. Pitkin and Ghost of, ghostsofamerica.com also. Um, and as always, you can, you can submit your story at um, haunted518.com. You can um, email us directly at thehaunted518 at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at, haunted, at thehaunted518. And we're on Facebook also at haunted518. And um, looking forward to a few upcoming guests and episodes, so don't don't forget to keep an eye out for those. And and that's pretty much it for today. So as always, happy haunting. <laughs>